pray. Church, Lord, thank you for this day and for the privilege we have of gathering together and uh, sharpen our minds as we open your word. Holy Spirit, illumine our understanding to make right application, to understand. God, speak to us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing this uh, study that deals with clarity, unity, and charity as we walk in biblical clarity and understand the mind of God, then we walk together in unity as a people of God and then live out our lives in service to other people or charity as we're on mission with God. Uh, clarity is the uh, ability to think uh, well and to think with purpose, to think intentionally. Um, and our key verse that we're looking at is Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to the Word of God in Hebrews where the writer says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that is open to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confidence of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because God is faithful, he's called us to be faithful. So we want to walk with clarity. We want to think clearly. I was reading a book on the Trinity recently, and this is what the writer said this in the sermon guide. When you don't start with Jesus the Son, you end up with a different God who is not the Father. For the Son is the only way to know God truly, and only He reveals the Father. He says, John Calvin once wrote that if we try to think about God without thinking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then only the bare, empty name of God flits about in our brains to the exclusion of the one true God. You can only know the true God through the work of Christ. And so we come to this passage in Romans about thinking clearly. Romans chapter 1 says... Uh, I, I appeal to you, I plead with you, I beseech you, I, I throw myself before you. He says, I command you by the mercies of the living God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So he says, based upon the mercies of God, Romans 1 through 11, and all that Christ has done for us and has been applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I beseech you to live as a living sacrifice, bodily, holy, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then number two, last week he says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You're, don't be conformed, but be transformed. The way we're not conformed to the world is that we're continuously transformed in our thinking, the renewing of our minds. I said last week that the mind renewal comes two aspects. The first aspect is we taste and we see the majesty and the goodness of all that Christ is for us. And secondly, we operate from a position of need. And I was reading this week John Calvin and he said that when it comes to seeing the beauty of Christ, he says, we must understand that, that we're in the business of uh, re re recovering the image that was terribly effaced and scarred in 
the original sin. He says we're constantly recovering those good things which we have utterly and completely lost because of sin. As we look to Christ, the glory of God and, and the wonder of God is continuously restoring and changing our soul, the Bible says, from glory to glory. See, I, I want to enter into all that Christ is for me because as I do that, I am changed, the Bible says. I'm continuously changed. And then the position of need, and Calvin says in the same part of the Institutes, he said this, he said that when we see ourselves and our inconsistencies, we should lie prostrate in extreme confusion, reduced to nothing. <laughs> That's true. A lot of times you want to go this way, you go that way. You have the same argument and the same format and the same discussion, and you go, good grief, here we go again. And so he says you lie prostrate in extreme confusion. And so he says, Paul says here, he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, I read this, and I think about this, and I think about how meager my thoughts about the glory and majesty and power of God are, and it kind of shames me. I was reading this week, Psalm, excuse me, 1 Samuel, about the life of the shepherd boy David, and in 1 Samuel 17, a very well-known passage of the Bible, David has taken some cheese and bread and food to his three older brothers who are in the army of Israel. And there's a Goliath giant guy that would come out every day from the Philistine camp and he would thunder out a, a challenge. He said, you present your man, I'll fight for us. Winner takes all and says the whole army of Israel and Saul were basically shaking in their tents. And as David is delivering this food to his older brothers, he's not in the army, Saul spews forth his challenge, and it says this. David says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. And his oldest brother and his other brother said, just be quiet, be quiet. So David said, I'll fight him. And he goes before Saul, and Saul tries to put his armor on him, and David couldn't move, and so he just goes out to meet Philistine with a slingshot and five stones. And this is what David says to the champion after the champion Goliath has laughed at him. He says this, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And I thought, wow. I have meager thoughts about God. So, so this transformation happens as we see the glory of Christ and our need. And then we come to the passage we're going to study today. It's the last part of chapter 12, verse 2. 
Short section. This is what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, very quickly, I'm going to give you a lot of material this morning, so bear with me. So when we talk about the will of God in the Bible, there are two wills. There's the sovereign will of God and there's the revealed will of God. The sovereign will of God is that which God accomplishes in His secret, glorious, wonderful way. And all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Now that's hard to grasp so often, but I believe the Bible teaches God takes the broken pieces of our lives and makes a mosaic out of them as we come to Him. We can trust Him. He numbers our days. He knows our frame, the Bible says. Ephesians chapter 1, in talking about this secret, powerful will of God, says in verse 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of His will, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, not a sparrow will fall from the sky without your heavenly Father's knowledge, and you're much more important than birds. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. So I believe the Bible teaches this, that nothing comes into my life that doesn't come through the hands of my living God, and those hands have nail prints upon them. So, so clarity of thinking that leads to unity of spirit, that leads to a life of charity, comprehends the glorious nature of God. There is a confession of faith called the Heidelberg Confession of Faith. Question one is the best question, I think, in all of catechisms. What is your only hope in life and death? The answer, my only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by his shed blood has purchased peace with God. And not only that, he also preserves my life from day to day that not a hair can fall from my head without my heavenly Father's knowledge. He leadeth me. There's a hymn that some of us grew up singing. It's, it's entitled, He Leadeth Me. It was written by a young Baptist preacher in the midst of the dark days of the war between the states. His daddy had been the governor of New Hampshire. He wrote this hymn, the only hymn he wrote. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. Sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom, sometimes when Eden's bowers bloom, by water still or troubled sea, still tis thy hand that leadeth me. He says, you know, there, there are times of deepest gloom, and there are times when Eden's flowers or bowers bloom. It's like you're almost in the Garden of Eden. There are times when the waters are still, and there are times when you're over a troubled sea, but God still leads us. So that, that's the sovereign will of God. We can trust Him. It, it, 
It's, it's a great comfort. It's a great comfort. It's a great, I, I can't put it all together, but it's a comfort. I can get up tomorrow saying, Abba, Father, I trust you. I, I can trust you. And then there's the revealed will of God that, that's in the Bible. The, the revealed will of God is God's instruction to us. We, we walk in it. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, regarding sexual purity, it says, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. God's will for you is that you be sanctified, that you, you grow in, in, in Christ, that, that you be pure. So this is God's will for you, your sanctification. Colossians talks about walking in the known will of God. So the, the will of God is that which is expressly given to us in the Bible. And there's a verse that we teach when we talk about the will of God, and it's Deuteronomy 29, 29, that says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may all do the works of the law. So, so the secret things belong to the Lord our God. That's the sovereign working of God from day to day, where He works His purposes in our lives. We can't peer into that, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children, that we may walk in the way of the law. So sovereign will, revealed will. Then we come to Romans 12. He says, what is, what is this talking about? Here's, here's what I think he's talking about. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, you take the revealed will of God, and as you walk in obedience and you plead with God to give understanding, and you walk in the context of community, you, you can discern what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, I'm going to say some things, so just bear with me. Some of you won't agree with this, but let's just let's keep going. Hebrews, New Testament book, Hebrews chapter 1, says this. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And he's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Christ, the final, ultimate, true revelation of God. He says this, God, after he spoke in the Old Testament before the coming of Christ, many portions, many ways, visions, dreams, burning bushes, Balaam's donkeys, so forth and so on. He gave us all that, but in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, singular. So 99%, percent 99.7% of all God's communication to us will be here. I want to leave the door open, though, because God is God. And if he wants to speak through dreams or visions that are in accord with Scripture, we have to test that. We have to test that. But but really, it's here. See, if, if, listen to me, if God's will were discovered through divination or reading tea leaves or Reading, uh, some people believe you can see the future if you look at the organs of slaughtered, slaughtered animals. It's just weird. But if, if, it, if God's will were determined through divination, or then, then it, it, the Bible wouldn't say to the first century church at Rome 
be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You say, just call in a soothsayer. Call in a, some type of person that can define the future. says, no, you prove what's the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God as you have a transformed mind. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the one way God is communicated through Jesus, the ultimate way, would not say in chapter 5, verse 12, where he's rebuking the church. He says, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have no need for someone to once again teach you the basic principles of the Word of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For, for solid, everyone who lives only on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's only a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. You see that? The mature, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See, their powers of discernment, finely tuned to discern good from evil. 99.75% is here. It's the book. So, so two considerations. Then I'm going to go to how do you know the will of God. Consideration number one is, the Bible says here that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. Good means beneficial, glorious. Acceptable means pleasing. Perfect means mature, complete. So it's beneficial, it's pleasing, it makes me mature and complete. I want to know that will. I want to know that God. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul's talking to this young man in the faith, Timothy, his son in the faith, and he says, Timothy, he says, there are people out there who go from bad to worse. They're always learning. They're never able to come to a place where they say, this is the truth. He says, while evil people and imposters go from bad to worse, you're different. He says, you've learned from childhood the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped, able to do every good work. I, I, I want to know that will. Now listen, we had... Mother's Day last week, and in a few weeks is Father's Day, which most people just forget about anyway, but Mother's Day is a big day. And so, uh, if you were a young adult, and you were in the decision-making process about a job or where to locate, and you had a mom and a dad who had always done everything just right for you, Nobody has a parent this way because we're all sinners. But your, your mom and dad always did everything right. They'd always lived sacrificially. Every word of instruction they gave you always came true. They were incredibly consistent. They were all-knowing, all-embracing, all-everything. What would you do? I'd call my mom and my dad. We have an Abba Father whose name is the living God who is all that for us. And so I want to know this will this good and acceptable, and it is pleasing. The second consideration is this. 
Bear with me. My intuitions are my intuitions. Let me explain that. Until about 40 years ago in the evangelical church at large. That was just standard. Martin Luther told somebody, trust God and sin on bravely. You know, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Is love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and just go forward. So, so my intuitions are my intuitions. I, I bring to the decision-making process my background, my heritage, my experience, and I say, God, take the Word of God and, and, and breathe it through me so I can make good decisions, but I've got to own my decisions. I'm, I'm very concerned that a lot of times we accuse the Lord of doing things because we don't or do want to do them. I'll give you an example. There's a wonderful book called uh, Just Do Something by a guy named Kevin DeYoung that was recommended to me recently by our senior high director. It's a wonderful book. I, I, I liked it. He gives this example. It's about knowing the will of God. He said when he was in college, he was a believer. His roommate was a very committed believer. They were going to Christian organizations involved in the church, and his, his, younger, his roommate was smitten with a young woman, just wanted to take her out. And so he talked her into going out for a walk one night, and he kind of, in a very chivalrous way, said, I, I, would, like, I would like to date you. And she said, well, the Holy Spirit has told me I am to never date you. He said, never? She said, never. And, and, and Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, you know, just think about this. The Holy Spirit, whose ministry is exalting the name of Jesus, and convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and opening the Word of God for the understanding of His people, took time out from doing that to tell her not to date my roommate. See, why don't you just say, you know, I don't want to date you. We, we make everything so pietistic, and we bathe it in all this language. What I'm saying is, your intuitions are your intuitions, and that's Okay. As long as it doesn't contradict Scripture. God's given you a mind that can be enlightened by Scripture. After the first service, a guy stopped in the hallway. He's married, happily married, have a beautiful child. And he says, I got one better than that. He said, a few years ago, I asked a girl in our Bible study. I said, I'd like to take you out. And she says, you're a tool of the devil. <laughs> he said, that was a quick conversation. <laughs> he said, tool of the devil. I mean, what did I do? She's like, to, he said, okay, forget I said anything. Thank you. So we were at Starbucks. How's that for an awkward moment, you know? I, I'm, I'm just going to be sensitive to that. So, so, so you come to this issue now of how do you determine the will of God? You look at this text. So this text says, test, discern the will of God that's good, acceptable, and perfect. Test, discern. So I'm going to say this. We can test and discern the will of God as we walk as informed men and women who take in Scripture, as we open ourselves up to prayer that pleads for illumination, and as we walk in community. Okay, first of all, the word. I want this word in my life. This is the word of God. God's instruction to me. I was thinking about James 3 and 
some other passages that it, but James 3.17 says, the wisdom from above is first of all pure and then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. I want that. I want that. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial. I want that. Peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. Or I thought of 2 Peter chapter 1. Add to your faith, knowledge, and the knowledge, self-control, and, and then perseverance, and godliness, and brotherly kindness, and love. For if you have these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. I do not want to be ineffective and unproductive. So God, I need those. The Holy Spirit, bring those into me. And so you, you get those as, I believe, as you plead, God, show me yourself in Scripture. I need to have a renewed mind under the Scripture. I want to memorize and sing and think about and meditate on your Word. John Calvin, as a man adopted a crest, a seal, and he says, My heart I offer to you, Lord, promptly and sincerely, as he studies the Word. My heart I offer to you promptly and sincerely. That's what I need. So the word. Secondly is prayer. This is God, illumine your word. Teach me your word. Think on Psalm 119 that says this, verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. God, give me your word. God, teach me. I am a needy person. Take your word. I plead with you, Lord, illumine my mind. And I do that in the context of community. I do it in the context of the body of Christ. There's two quotes in the sermon guide. One is from a guy named Carey. Philip Carey says, so the best place to hear from God now is in a gathered congregation of the body of Christ, where he is present to teach and comfort and warn and guide all who believe. His speaking is not an inner experience, but a shared event. Just like the teaching and admonishing that happened when the New Testament church was filled with the Holy Spirit. The church gathered, community groups, and then another book entitled Dangerous Calling says this, for much of my Christian life and the portion of my ministry, I had no idea that my walk with God was a community project. I thank God that as a young man, I understood that my walk with God was a community project, that I needed the body of Christ. And there are people here who've loved me now for over three decades and love my kids and prayed for my marriage. And I need the body of Christ. He says, he says, I was blind to the power of remaining sin in my life. I now know that I need to commit myself to living in intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive communities. I now know that it's my job to seek this community out, to invite people to interrupt my private conversation and to say things to me that I couldn't or wouldn't say to myself. 
I have realized how much I need warning and encouragement and rebuke and correction and protection and grace and love. I now see myself as connected to others, not because I have made the choice, but because of the wise design of the one who is head of the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. I need community that is intentionally intrusive, grace-driven, Jesus-saturated. So how do you know the will of God? You stay in the Word. You stay in prayer, and you walk in community. It's not divination. It's not tea leaves. It's the Word and prayer and, and community. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. So occasionally I'll have someone call me and they'll say, we want to talk, and they'll come by and they'll say, I'm getting ready to start a business and I don't know whether to start it or not. And I say, just stop. I said, I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't even understand economics. I said, but there are elders in our church who've walked the heights of the joy of entrepreneurship and the valleys of entrepreneurship, and they can walk with you. They can tell you more in five minutes than I can tell you in an hour. In fact, I've already told you everything I know about economics, okay? And so God, God has given us pastors and elders to speak into our lives in various ways, various issues, to shepherd our souls. We all need the body of Christ. We, I just said goodbye to some people that graduated from medical school and dental school this week, and you know, some people will come to me and they'll say, well, should we live in Phoenix or Portland or, you know, Tuscaloosa? And I said, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Let's talk, what are the churches like? Is there a good community there? Is there a chance for economic development? Are there good schools, a good school situation for your kids? What are you going to do with your kids? If you have kids, you got to, and we, we sit down and we pray and we talk and we look at that and just think through it. And see, I, I would never do anything of a major consequence without the covering of godly leaders from my church. I just wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't do it. A lot of people get married. A lot of people have babies. We've got, well, we have a wonderful pre-marriage class that's taught by some outstanding people in our church who have just wonderful folks. And so I just meet two or three times with people and get to know them. And if I do the wedding, and I give, I give them a standard can discussion that goes like this. I've been doing this for 30 years. When you get married, there are five areas that you're going to have to come to terms with as a married family. In no particular order, communication. She does, he doesn't. A lot of times. In-laws. Right? Okay. Finances. Children. When to have them. How to, how to raise them, how to discipline them, and sex. Men are microwaves, women are crockpots. I said, let's just be honest. I said, you know, you're young married, you punch a man anywhere, he's on full alert 24-7. So you're not married to a weirdo, that's just the way us guys are wired. But what I don't tell them is this. After three or four decades of marriage, there are five areas you're going to have to work through. Communication. In-laws. See, in-laws can get worse because don't you have in-laws a generation ahead? You have your children marrying into different families. You got in so in-laws are beating you from both ends of the spectrum now. In-laws. Finances. Children and even sex occasionally. You know, it's going to happen, you know. 
But see, I, I, I want the covering of godly people. See, the Bible says older women teach younger women, older men teach younger men. That's the missing jewel of the church. Who's speaking Christ to your life? So, so you determine the will of God, Scripture, prayer, community. Several years ago, we went to a seminar led by a guy named George Barna, who's a dem- demographic expert and a prognosticator. He's written a lot of books, and about 12 of us went, and he stood up and he gave a session on knowing the will of God, and he said this. He said, the will of God is communicated to the senior pastor. And I, I just uh, I thought, that, that is a bizarre unbiblical, horrific statement. The, the will of God is communicated through the body of Christ. As we are in the word, as we pray, as we walk in community. So n- nobody, nobody knows the mind of God outside of scripture and prayer and community. So two weeks from today, we're going to have a big celebration in here at 11 and 9 30 we're going to exit and we're going to show you a proposed building plan for our church that will include a sanctuary this room will be dedicated to contemporary worship we'll have classrooms we'll have uh, places for uh, hopefully a meeting space a common area we're, we're going to have storage we're going to have a music suite offices And we've been struggling over this for a few years, and we're ready to launch it and go forward. We have launched. Uh, So I'm going to just answer a couple of questions next week or two as we kick off. Questions people often ask me is, what about debt? Now, I don't like debt. And right now, our total debt as a church is $2.5 million. That's 6% of our operating budget. According to the Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, a guy named Tom Rayner, churches our size, their debt service is anywhere from 28 to 40 percent. They said 33 years, really, I think 28 to 40 percent. So you can see we're way below the national average. You know, we, we try to be very conservative. We try to be very careful. And, and I don't like debt. Listen, it's 2.5. And if anybody here wants to wipe that out today, I'll meet you down here. We do take personal checks, you know, even if you're... If your American Express has a credit limit of 2.5, we'll take that too. We'll process it right now. See, I'm, no. You authorized us to borrow 2.5, up to 2.5 million. If we do that, and we're not going to borrow all that by God's grace. If we do that, the next year our debt service will be 10% of our budget, about that much. Still way below the average, but we don't want to go there. That's why I've told people, I said, you know, I want everybody here to participate in this forever faithful going forward project to the glory of God. Listen, I'm not a big building guy. I'm really not. And I don't like raising money. So I'm really the wrong guy to be talking right now. But I do believe that buildings let you educate and equip people and people can worship and they can be sharpened and sent out in the culture to the glory of God. And it helps you grow ministries and programs and it helps you accomplish things that that you probably could not apart from that. So I believe they're necessary and they can be incredibly used of God. And I think we need to go forward with this. So, 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 so that's where we're going. That's where we're heading. And you're going to have more information in the weeks to come. But there's a prayer guide that's on our website. They're scattering here for the next two weeks. Pray for us as we think about going forward. Here's an artist's rendition of what it might look like. But, but, but 
we want to be faithful people because God is faithful. And we want to go forward with intergenerational ministries and impact in the culture to the glory of God at a time when the culture desperately needs to hear the gospel of Christ. So two weeks from now, you'll hear more. You'll be given information, but be praying for us. Okay? Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. And I just thank you that the Bible gives us clarity of thinking so that we can honor you and walk in unity with brothers and sisters. Thank you that the will of God is not known by divination or reading tea leaves, but it's known as we study the Scripture, as we pray for the illuminating power of the Spirit, and as we walk in community. Thank you for the unity you bring as we walk in clarity that allows us to be people of charity who graciously care and love men and women and boys and girls around us and around the world to the glory of your name. So, God, by your power and by your spirit, open our hearts to be your people. And uh, we, we will praise you for that as you do that. We walk as men and women who need to see the beauty of the triune God in the reality of Christ and who operate out of, out of a, a position of really, we just need you, Lord. We just need you. So blessed be your name. Give us grace to walk as your people this week in Jesus' name. Amen.